this is Heather from the media team at Word Alive. If you haven't already celebrated Rosh Kadesh, we'd like to encourage you to find a House of Light on our Wayo app. If you're ready for your next step, Freedom Track is starting this Sunday on campus. This week's sermon is about God's glory on our house and how worship and prayer is connected to His glory. I hope you enjoy this message. We believe the glory of God's going to be on our house. When I say our house, I'm talking about our church and your home. We started praying around Passover as we've been moving from Passover to Pentecost and uh, we know this is a very spiritual time and we started praying because in this season we want to be very careful not just to come bring encouraging messages but we really want to hear what God's saying and try to deliver that word to you and so we've all been praying as a team our staff prays an hour every morning here at church in this season at diligently seeking God for you for your family for our church for what God's will is for our lives and we've been we've been asking God to clearly give us direction in this season my brother Dan was reminded of a book he read years ago by Jack Hayford called The Glory of God on Your House. And he said, Ken, I, really, I, feel, I feel a real unction on it. And when I got a hold of it uh, and started reading some of it, man, it was really powerful stuff. And then when I got in Montgomery, the prophets who we need to listen to were decreeing the glory of God. That's what their decrees were about, that this is the season for the glory of God. And so when we talk about the glory of God on your house, the glory of God on our house, what is that? Well, I talked to you last week when Israel, remember when they left Egypt, it says they were met by a cloud by day and a fire by night. That was the glory. That was the manifest presence of God that they encountered. You see, I'm, I'm convinced that God didn't just save us from sin, but he saved us to introduce us to himself. God wants all of us to know him and know his glory, know his manifested presence. God brought them out of Egypt so he could introduce, introduce them to himself so that they would know who he was. And so when God met him by a cloud by day and a fire by night, that was the manifestation of the glory of God on this people. It was a protective covering of the Almighty God, and it was forecast to ensure warmth, the flame of his presence, to bless his people. But it was also a warring firepower of his wrath against their enemies. And so, yes, it was a comfort of the cloud to, to soothe his people and provide for them, but it was also a fire that would stand against the enemies of God. And actually, when Egypt came after them, it says it, they, that the fire came between Israel and their enemies, and it would push back their enemies from them. I don't know about you, but I believe there's some spiritual enemies that are alive right now. They're trying to destroy marriages. They're trying to destroy homes. They're trying to kill, steal, and destroy. They're trying to destroy children's lives. They're trying to come against our homes, especially in the nation of America. They're trying to destroy families. But I'm here to prophesy to you the glory of God is coming to your house, and God is going to be a cloud by day and a fire by night, and he's going to begin to work on our behalf. Amen? Amen? God instructed Moses to build a tabernacle just for his glory, a place for his glory to dwell. Moses asked for the glory of God. He was bold enough to say, God, show me your glory. God said, there's a place beside me in a rock. I will put you there, hide you, put my hand over you and cover you, and I will let my glory pass by. That is a prophetic picture of Christ who one day would be the rock that we would be hid in and that the glory and that God's hand would be on us so that we all could experience the glory of God as Moses did. We sang it this morning, Lord, let us see your glory like Moses did. This is a true promise of the scripture. This is not some, some myth, mystical thing of uh, unearthable thing. It's a, it's a true, tangible thing, the glory of God that God wants us to experience. Moses experienced it powerfully, but the New Testament says that that was an old system under the law. 2 Corinthians 3 says that old system of the law led to death, but it began with such glory that people could not even bear to look at Moses' face 
For when he gave him God's law to obey, his face shone out with the very glory of God. But that glory actually faded away. The scripture goes on to say, shall we not expect far greater glory in these days when the Holy Spirit has given life? What's he saying? If that glory was so great under an old covenant, under the law, before the blood of Jesus had been shed, that just the very blood of an animal or a goat applied gave them enough faith to enter the presence of glory of God, how much more you and I, not in the faith of a normal animal or goat, but in the blood of God's own Son, how much more should we understand and believe that we can enter the glory of God? So glory... It's an unusual term, and it's something that most people aren't very acquainted with, but it is a real experience. I've seen it manifested. I've seen it manifested in many ways. I've, I've seen it manifest with gold dust coming on, on people's hands. I've seen a mist in a room, a cloud. I've seen, I've seen miracles and healings. I've seen, seen it manifested in many ways. I, I was with Pastor Benny Hinn. We started praying, Lord, show us your glory. We'd never in his history of ministry seen somebody come out of a wheelchair. And we started praying, Lord, show us your glory. Never forget in Anaheim, California in 1992, the first person we ever saw healed got up out of a wheelchair was instantaneously healed. The very next crusade, 36 wheelchairs were emptied as the glory of God came in a room. I've seen the glory of God. I was preaching in the Ukraine when all of a sudden I was called to preach and, and wasn't prepared. And all of a sudden the glory of God fell into a room. And all the next thing you know, 5,000 Ukrainians on their face before God under the glory of God being healed and delivered, saved and set free. Not by a man's preaching, but by the very presence of God Almighty entering a room. I've seen it in the Pentecostal church growing up. You know, a lot of people make fun of that and talk about how old school that was in, you know, in those days. But I'm telling you what, as a young child, I, I saw the glory of God. And it was an awesome thing to behold. I mean, I saw, I saw old people, 90-something years old, that would, could barely get in a service. And all of a sudden, sometime during worship, the glory of God would hit them and they would dance all over the sanctuary like they were 20 years old, like you can't even believe. And I'm not talking about funky dance. I'm talking about glorious, that, that you, lit, you would weep, cry, hide your face kind of glory. My brother Dan was in the service one night and grew up and away from God. And all of a sudden, he got connected to God and called to preach. And there was a revival happened one night. And my brother's very conservative, and honestly. But man, the glory of God hit him one night. And he ran, not around the church, the top of the pews. And didn't miss a step under the glory of God. And it wasn't just manifestations because when God would move like that, all of a sudden demons would come out of people. People would be miraculously healed. People would get saved. People would get filled with the Holy Ghost. People's marriages would be healed. In a moment under glory, things would happen that could never happen in any other realm like that before. And I'm not thinking, I don't believe God's taken us back to a place of glory. I believe he's taken us forward to a place of glory. But, but we've got to have a reference point. You see, and that's why, you know, the, some people, and so what's happened is some of us have gotten so caught up in the glory that used to be, we're not ready to move into the glory that here's now. And some of us just, just never experienced it because we've put that off as some, you know, uh, emotional uh, type something that, you know, that's, that's not relevant. But the glory of God is very relevant. And it's not just about manifestation. If you never run the pews. 
If you never see gold dust, if you never feel anything tangibly, that doesn't mean that the presence of God is not very much available and right here with you in your, in your midst and what's going on. And so I really believe that God is talking to us about the glory of God coming to us as a church and in our homes. And I believe it's, I believe it's the season that we're moving, moving in, that we were going to see the glory. It's a biblical promise. It says the whole earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God like the waters cover the sea. There's coming a day on the earth that the whole earth will know the knowledge of the glory of God. And I believe this is a season where we are, we are being called to move into a glory realm, if you will, and begin to live in the glory, in the presence of God. There's three things I want to talk to you about this morning and just kind of help us start easing that way. We'll be talking about this probably for several weeks, about the glory of God on our house. But first of all, I want you to understand it's God's desire to manifest His glory to you. That's God's desire. Isaiah 60 says, Arise and shine. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and His glory will be seen upon you. This is a promise of Isaiah the prophet. And by the way, I'll talk to some in, in the weeks ahead. He's prophesying to a culture that's in dark times. He's not just prophesying about a day that we're in. They were in dark times then. Actually to a place where Isaiah prophesied the Lord would have to come and cleanse the filth of Jerusalem. So that his glory could come. So it's not like they weren't, didn't know darkness. They were in darkness then just like we're in darkness now. But it says when you see that kind of darkness, arise and shine. For your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. So I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about your house. I'm talking about your circumstances. I'm talking about your marriage. I'm talking about your children. I'm talking about your family. This is a season where the glory of God's going to show up in your house. And some battles you've been fighting, you're not going to fight those battles anymore. Because the Lord's going to show up and say, the battle is the Lord's. Be still and know that I am God in your house and in your life. Won't you touch three or four people, tell them the glory is coming to your house. Tell them. Now let me dispel a myth because some of you were raised in church and, 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 and some of you uh, fortunately or unfortunately weren't, weren't but I've been, most of my life I heard God will not share his glory with another. God will not share his glory with another. We've heard that. It's from Isaiah 42, 8. Here's what it says. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory. Somebody say glory. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to graven images. My, my glory I will not share with another. That's not talking about me and you. That's not talking about his church. He's talking about that there's nothing of his excellency, majesty, or glory that he will compromise and let it be companioned with other gods or demon deities who boast themselves against him. He won't share his glory with them. But with us, it's in distinct contrast when you listen to Jesus' disclosure of our Father's heart concerning the church, his own redeemed ones, whom God's Messiah and who have received his witness, the Savior prays this prayer. The glory you gave me, Father, I have given them that we may be one as you and I are one. Jesus paid the price on the cross so that you and I could live in the glory of the Father just like Jesus did. Listen to me, people of God. There's coming a day, and it's soon upon us, where people will be known that they're Jesus followers, not because of what they say, but because of how they live and the glory that's on them. You won't have to put a fish on your car. 
Come on, somebody. You won't have to tell people. You don't have to, not against fish or cross. But we will not be identified by that. When they left Egypt, Moses said, the only thing that will separate us from any other nation is your presence goes with us. Your glory is with us. And that's the thing that's going to make the difference in believers' lives at this time. My friend Bobby Connor said he heard the Lord speak to him. People sent up saying, Lord, worship him, saying, Jesus, thank you. There's no one like you. There's no one like you, Jesus. And the Holy Spirit whispered and said, and isn't that a shame? Isn't that a shame? Because we are called as followers of Jesus to walk in his glory. Walk in the glory of God. It's God's desire. Number two, quickly, we see that God's glory is always associated with worship. And those who fill the house with praise pave the way for glory. Worship and praise is key to the season we're living in right now. Worship and praise is key to the season we're living in right now. And I'm going to be encouraging you in the days ahead like I have in the past days, but it's very important these days. Praise and worship isn't buying time till I'm ready to preach. Praise and worship isn't buying time for us to go through the drive-thru to get here. Come on, somebody. Praise and worship is a designed thing of God to allow us through praise and worship to bring and invite the glory and the presence of God to our midst and to begin to radically worship and praise God in a way that attracts the presence of God. God ordained this. Exodus 40, 33-35, and he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and altar and hung the screen of the court gate, and Moses finished the work. When the tabernacle was in place, then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When the tabernacle was right, and the place and it was a form of worship and when that was in God's pattern the glory of God came same thing happened in Solomon's dedication it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord and they lifted up their voice with trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord saying for he is good for his mercy endures forever that the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house. Isn't it interesting both statements say the priest couldn't minister? Why? It wasn't necessary. I said, it. why couldn't the priest minister? It wasn't necessary because when God walks in, I should shut up. When God walks in, I should sit down. Why? Because when God shows up, you don't need me or any other priest. He is here. Come on, somebody. Priests couldn't stand the minister. Most, most places can't stand the minister. Come on, somebody. But it says the minister couldn't stand to worship because the glory of God had filled the house. Full-hearted, biblically ordered, Holy Spirit-ignited worship introduces the glorious one of the glorious order of the eternal one God said I will glorify the house of my glory the Lord declares adding I will make the place of my feet glorious in short where people worship God humbly forthrightly obediently according to his word he will respond with a distinct show of his presence 
worship-filled, praise invites the rule of his glorious kingdom, and he enters with loving blessings and liberating power. Honoring God's word in our lives, exalting God's son with our lips, and giving the Holy Spirit a place to work by the love we show God and each other allow distinct and marvelous blessings to pour forth. Now, the Hebrew word for glory helps us grasp what I'm trying to tell you. It's actually the word for weight. Weight. When the Bible speaks of glory, it's not speaking of, of necessarily something that's a glow, but as of something with substantial force to it. Glory isn't something flimsy or intangible. Rather, when the glory of God's in a place, something forceful, weighty, mighty is present in the spiritual realm. People can recognize it. And they want to be where that is. See, I believe mankind longs intuitively for the fulfillment of the restoration of the glory. The focus and the fruitfulness of it. Those things that attend the soul reintroduced to lost glory. I believe that that's what in each and every one of us is actually what we're actually craving. You know, we were created to know the presence of God. Men and women yearn for this reality while we little under, little, few of us understand the path to its recovery. But we, not, we don't only need forgiveness, but we need the fulfillment that sin has deprived us from. Adam and Eve snatched for leaves to cover themselves. Why? The glory was gone. So humankind still attempts desperately not only to cover up the fact of our naked sinfulness before God, but to substitute something for the loss of being clothed with the glory of God. The glory of God was essentially what man wore before the fall. So the first couple sudden, sudden awareness had less to do with their nudity than the awareness that the sense of the glory had gone. You know, people, people ask me all the time, they say, Kent, why don't you preach more on sin? I will when the glory comes. But when there is no glory, there really is, there really is no judgment. You can only be judged to the measure of glory you've experienced. That's why the Bible says it's time for judgment to begin in the house of God. Why? Because God's about to come with His glory, and when the glory comes, there comes responsibility with it. But without any glory, there's no responsibility. That's why people can sit in churches and never change in this season that we've been in, because there ain't been no glory there. So to preach against people sitting and not changing is fruitless because the glory's not there. And the only thing that can change you or transform you is the very presence and the glory of God. In the tabernacle, when there was glory, if you walked in there with sin in your life, you were struck dead. But when the glory left, they were having sex in the temple and nothing was happening to them. The glory's coming. And it's going to bring a, a and, and, it's, and it's not a thing like be afraid of it. They're saying don't be afraid. Why? Because the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ has made it available to us why we were destined to walk in the glory. May I say the pure biblical definition of sin is not walking in glory. It's not my drug addiction and my, uh, and my abuse and all that, and my, and my, all, all that part of me. 
Absent glory characterizes fallen man. Whether the first one stripped of glory by sin's entry or in our own case as members of a race who fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is when we don't walk in our identity and who God called us to be was to be people of glory. I know it's getting a little deep here, but we got to get here if we're going to find what we're talking, talking about. For so long, churches try to use self-willpower to get people out of sin, and it doesn't work. And then we judge them for not changing when they ain't got any power around them to judge them. But when the glory gets moving in a house, come on. I said when the glory gets to moving in a house, things change. Things move. We know instinctively we need the weight of glory. You don't have to tell people. People are miserable on their own by, all by themselves. That's why we pursue reputation, acceptance, possessions, education, something in which we may glory. The real quest is for substance weight and such alternative pursuits, not evil in themselves, are not to be condemned, but... Neither can they be commended apart from finding the fountainhead of glory, which is in Christ first. There's nothing wrong with being educated, but that's not the weight of glory. There's nothing wrong with having possessions, but that'll never satisfy you eternally. There's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with, 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 with the accolades or being accepted or, or, or actually you know, being celebrated as overcoming something. But there's no eternal way. It doesn't satisfy you on the inside. Believe me. You don't take long to watch people. I know a lot of wealthy people I see on television. They're, they've got a lot of things, but they're not satisfied on the inside. And I'm telling you, we've all experienced it. No matter what you accomplish in life or how great your education or what kind of possession, it leaves this knowing something that only the presence of God can satisfy. And if anybody ever finds the glory of God, they are never going to be satisfied with or by anything else but that. And I love being around those people because they don't put on airs. They may be wealthy, but that's not the weight of the glory they're in. They may be educated, but that's not the weight of their glory. So they don't have to act pretentious and pompous around you to make you accept them. Why? They know they're already accepted in the beloved, and they walk in that glory and grace. I've never walked around anybody that lived in the glory that put, that put me off. They always attract you. The glory of God's attractive because it produces humility and grace and love and anointing and acceptance in their lives. Anything or anyone less never satisfies. Substitutes become gods that hold no weight and provide no abiding glory. The only goal that will fully grant the desire for weight for substance to our lives is to become clothed again with the glory of God. Third and quickly, we learn that the glory of God must be entertained that is honored so as not to be lost. To entertain God's glory is to welcome his workings in our hearts and homes, our churches and congregations, just as we would a beloved guest. We, 
we perceive differently when we realize what we're called to do. This one shift could change our church. If we realize what this praise and worship's about, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about our flavor. I, I, I like any worship. I like how great thou art. I, I, I like old rugged cross. I, I, I like the Gaithers. You know, I like rock and roll. I, I, like, I like anything that, that has the spirit of glorification of Jesus on him. I'm not talking about style. I'm not talking about taste. I'm not talking about flavor. I'm talking about attitude. I'm talking about why we're doing it, not how we're doing it. Man, I said I'm not talking about how. I'm talking about why. Why? Even contemporary worship gets off track when you lose the why, when it's all about performance, when it's all about who's being the best, when it's all about fighting on who's going to get to sing which song, when it's all about who gets to be the top performer, when it's all about who's going to top on the charts. Then we get the why above the how. But the why is what's important. If we realize we're here to host and entertain the presence of Almighty God in our midst, that's what true worship is about. And if we come on Sundays with this attitude, we're not here just to get our fancies filled. We're here as a host of a, God's people to host our guest, which is the king. Boy, that makes a whole different mentality. We, you know, I, I, I would have to say if, you know, if President Trump was coming, whether you like him or not, or even if it was the other administration, President Obama, if he was coming to church on Sunday, I would dare to say you would probably be here early. And I would dare to say that you would probably come well prepared to. Right? Because you're, I'm just making that up. You may not even like them. I'm just saying, whoever you think is important. Right? It's a different attitude than, you know. Nothing wrong with chewing gum, but I'm just saying. We're saying, show me your glory. And you're. I'm not making fun of you. I'm just saying you don't know better. And I'm here to educate you. We're hosting the God of glory every time we get together to come and work and move and be around us. And we entertain Him. Glory is the portion of those who glorify Him. And true worship springs only from hearts that are being constantly renewed in a childlike first love. Neglect, sophistication, even well-attended but dulling habit will only diminish glory to whatever degree the will of flesh or pride of the human heart persists in its own way. Neglect, sophistication even. Even well-attended but dulling habit. You can get so familiar with it. Not you only. Me and you. We can get so familiar with it and take it so for granted that God has built a place here of worship for us to come and corporately get into His presence that we just, we don't appreciate it.
And when you see how we live versus other places, that's why for me traveling around the world, preaching is a, a lot of work, but it's also such a big blessing because I go to other places and I see to what degree they have to go to just to prepare to worship. Do you know there's churches today that have to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning just to set up the stuff to get ready to do this? And then they have to tear everything down. So, so they're there at 4 o'clock setting up chairs, putting up equipment, getting there, just so they can worship. When you think about that, that's probably great because, I mean, it, it's like it keeps you in this understanding of reality that we're doing this for a reason because you've you got to have a pretty good reason if you're getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go set the church up to even get to have church. And then there's nations of the world. My buddy from Kazakhstan, you know, they, they're under threat every week for getting shot for hosting God. Seven months a year, they have to dig themselves out of snow just to go to church. I was eating breakfast with him, and a buddy of mine, he told my buddy, that's a pastor in Florida, and what, he said something cute to me. He came to our church, the pastor from Kazakhstan. He walked in our church. He goes, oh, my God. He said, this is the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life. He said, I'm going to be praying for you. I said, why? He said, because when Jesus comes back to take you to heaven, you may not want to go. He said, because it's this nice. He said, in Kazakhstan, we couldn't even dream that you could ever have anything like this. And he told the pastor about mine, he said, you know, when you get to heaven, God's going to ask you, were you faithful? Did you serve God? Did you live a good life? Did you learn to love? Were you a good father, good husband? And all this list of rules before you ever get to get in. He said, when I show up, God's going to say, where did you live? And I'm going to say, Kazakhstan. He's going to say, come on in. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? To whom much is given, much is required. And I don't want us to get to this place of we neglect what this is about and forget why we're doing this. And get into an old habit of it. When I used to travel with my friend Benny Hinn, he used to preach about this, and it would scare the bejesus out of me because the fear of the Lord was on the message. But he would always talk about Samson, how he lived in the glory of God. And he, you know the story, right, how he cut his hair and, and lost the glory of God. It had nothing to do with hair. We've made a whole religion out of, you know, short or long hair, but it was his, it was his heart in obedience to what God had told him to do. And as long as he walked in that, he walked in the glory. But when he began to neglect his obedience and neglect the things God had told him to do, then what happened? It put him in an awkward position where he actually disobeyed, got out of the will of God, got out of the purposes of God, and lost his power. And it says he stood up one day and, and moved as he moved, but did not know the Spirit had left him. Ben used to say the Holy Spirit always comes with great noise, but he leaves quiet. And you may not even know he's gone. The Lord scared me several years ago. I read a scripture here about our church in the book of Revelations talking to the churches. You know what it said? It scared the life out of me. This is the fear of God for Kent. See, I'm not afraid of God. I'm afraid to be without him. That's my, for me, the fear of the Lord. I'm not afraid of Him. I'm afraid to be without Him. Because I know without Him, I'm done. I'm done without Him. I was praying for our church, and it was the book of Revelations. You know what it said? It's in there. Read it. It says, 
you have the name that you're alive but you're dead you have the name that you're alive word alive it's in the Bible not word alive but that scripture you have the name that you're alive but you're almost dead come back to your first love I knew that day if we ever get too far away from just hosting him that we would miss what God wanted to do in our life you see it's all a delusion well managed churches businesses, careers and dwellings they can be built with or without God but without God the day inevitably comes when like Samson we say I go out as before at other times and I shake myself free but nothing happens and in these words we hear the echo of thousands who have learned all the moves to achieve apparent success who have discovered that glory does not reside in our systems or our structures but in our simplicity of dependence upon God And I really believe that God is wanting to invade our churches, our homes, and be a covering over us. A cloud by day and a fire by night. And the problems we're experiencing in our homes can only be solved by Him. And so I found myself yesterday in, in, in our dependence upon Him. And I'm not trying to stir up the flesh, so please hear me. I'm not trying to incite, you know fervent flesh driven fanaticism but at the same time I don't want us to be limited by, in, by being timid uh, by timidity to not have a full expression of God in our homes and in our churches I remember I was sitting right there several years ago and the Lord came I'm, I'm, and the Lord was blessing and prospering the church and a lot of people were coming to the church we couldn't even contain everybody and it was, it was very successful and we were, we were really really moving and God was doing some things but I had kind of tried to tone things down because I didn't want to offend people you know that maybe didn't understand our fervency of worship and what have you and I'm, I remember I was sitting right there and I said Lord I'm really hungry I'd love for you to move this morning and the Lord said then run I was like what do you mean Lord he's like just physically run and I was like I'm going to need a confirmation on that, you know, because people ain't going to understand me lighting out on a full run around the church. And so I leaned over to Bev, who's normally the voice of reason for me, and I said, Bev, I feel like the Lord told me that I wanted him to move, that I'm supposed to run. She didn't miss the beat. She said, you better run, boy. That's what he told you to do. You better run. I fought it and fought it off. And, and I'm not saying everybody has to follow God like me, so we'll be teaching on that too. There, everybody follows God differently. Everybody, God doesn't call everybody to run. So don't so it's okay if you're not a runner. But this is what God was dealing with me about. But I had to wrestle. Am I gonna do this act of just I fought it, fought it, fought it. Finally, before I was gonna take the mic, I just I decided not to do it. When I grabbed the mic, it's like this fear of God hit me, and I thought, no, 
I just put it down. I just took off running. It was a miracle because I kept my eyes closed because I didn't want to see what everybody was looking at, you know. And I, I, it's one I didn't kill myself in the full run, you know, with my eyes closed. But I got back. As soon as I got back, the power of God hit me, knocked me flat on my back, right in front of everybody. Now I'm laying out like, this is pretty. Just like this, the Holy Spirit said, make up your mind today. You want to be popular or powerful? Make it up today. You want to be popular or powerful? I know for Kent, I had to decide, you know, when God says do something, I got to be ready to do it. And so I find myself now in a place, I found myself at home yesterday. Because I'm like you, I have problems. My family has problems, just like yours does. Nobody's exempt. But I found myself with a faith yesterday in my own home. To be able just to lift my hands in my home and say, God, let your glory cover my house. I found the faith to walk in my bedroom and say, God, let me let us dream spiritual dreams. Let us see heavenly visions. Bless my marriage, God. Make it better than it's ever been. Cause us to walk with you like we've never walked before. I found myself in the kitchen with my hands, all by myself, with my hands lifted and saying, God, fill my kitchen with your glory. God, you said you'd bless our food and water and you'd take all sickness from our midst. I found myself in my study with my hands lifted and saying, God, let me study to show myself approved. God, let me understand the word of God like I've never understood it before. Let your glory fill this place. I found myself outside where we entertained, and I said, God, let us entertain strangers, even unaware. Lord, let us at times bring, bring the poor and the homeless and those that could never repay us. Let us bring them to our house, and let us entertain even angels unaware at times as we reach out to the hurting people around us. Let our home be a place where hurting, lonely people can find your peace and grace. Let your glory be on my house. I found myself stretching my hands out my windows to where, toward where my children live and, and asking, evoking God's goodness to cover their houses and cover them in this season. And as I did, I felt a tangible presence of God like I'm feeling now that I know the glory of God is coming to this house. He's coming to your house. He's coming to your family. He's ready to rest upon you and cover you. This is the season of the glory of God that's ready to invade our spheres of atmosphere. He wants, to rest, he wants to rest on students going into the schools. He wants you to take the glory to your business, to where you work, and let it rest there. He wants it to rest in your home. In the sphere of your, we're going to be talking about this over the next few weeks as we just host the glory of God. It's where we need to live. They sang it, it's where we belong. We should be more uncomfortable outside of glory than we are in the glory. But it's not that way yet. Right now, if the glory shows up, we're like, whoa. But what should happen is, if we ever got in a meeting and didn't feel the glory, we should go, wait a minute. This doesn't feel right. There's no glory here. But what happened is I believe the enemy lulls us into this place of just believing, well, it's just okay. 
it's just okay. Maybe it's just not the season for it. Well, I'm here to tell you, I believe it's always the season to be in God's presence and God's purpose and God's plans. So, before we leave here today, I'm going to ask the worship team to help us one more time. And we're going to sing this prayer song as a prayer. Lord, show me your glory. Lord, show me your glory. And when you leave today after this time of worship and we pray for you, I want you to go home today and stand in your house and let the Lord lead you. I would encourage you to find the most challenging circumstance or the hardest thing that you're going through right now and lift your hands in your house and just say, God, show me your glory in that area. Show me your glory. You may be having a difficult time in your business. Stand in the midst of your business and give your business to God and just say, God, let your glory show up. We've seen what men can do. Let's see what God can do. Let's see what God could do in your home or your business or your family or this church. Because I believe this is the season. Here's the last scripture I'll share with you before we worship. It's 2 Corinthians. Chapter 3, verse 15, it says, But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. To turn means to turn to the worship of the true God, to cause to return, to bring back, to move back to love and obedience, to move back to love and wisdom and righteousness, to turn oneself around, to turn about, to go a different direction. We all find ourselves with veils on our face. Some of it's tradition. Some of it's uh, compromising our our lives through disobedience. Some of it is uh, complacency. And we find ourselves with veils. See, the glory's here. It's just we're veiled. But it says when we turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. In the next few moments, I'm prophesying the Lord is going to come by His Spirit and He's going to remove veils from off of our, so that the covering the enemy has put on, the Holy Spirit's about to remove that covering and the covering of glory is going to come upon us today. Anybody believe that with me today? Circumstances can veil you. You just... That's what happened to Abraham. He's in his tent and he's saying, Lord, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless. He's veiled. God says, get out of your tent. Look up to the heaven. Start counting the stars. See how many there are. This is what I've called you to be, a father of nations. And in one moment, the veil was taken away and he saw the glory of God. Some of you, you're just looking at your addiction. That's all you see every day is your addictive behavior. God's saying, quit looking at yourself. This ain't about you. Let me take that veil off you and look up to the heavens and let me clothe you with my glory and move you forward. The veil is going to be removed. The Holy Spirit is going to touch us and we are going to move in the glory of God this season. Would you stand up with me? 
I hope you enjoyed this message. For more content like this, please visit wordalive.tv or download the Wayo app. If you've been through Freedom Track, join us this Sunday for our new Kingdom Culture class. Have a great week.